So the sermon title today is Playing on the Road. Y'all know what that is? Not playing in the road. That's what I used to do when I was a little kid, right? But playing on the road. It means not playing at home like a home basketball game, but playing in somebody else's arena. Playing away. Playing on the road. That's what it means. We need to know that because that's what God has called us to. We're not called to this. Now listen, it, yeah, this is important. You hear me say, this is the most important thing we do as a church together is this. But we're not just called to this. God has called us to be on the road. We got to get on the road, okay? That doesn't mean we're going to uh, buy a bunch of buses and we're going to be a mobile church tomorrow. I, that's not what I'm saying, but, but God has called us to be on the road, to play on the road. So let me show you what I'm talking about. First of all, let's start with this. Is that this is not our place. This out there, this world, it is not our place. This is not our place. Take you to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. We're going to read. Uh, Paul is, is talking about, he's just, he's just been giving a list. Some people call this the hall of faith or the chapter of faith. He's talking about heroes of the Old Testament back before Jesus lived here on the earth. And he's talking about these people that God did miraculous things through their efforts. He, he moved and worked through them. And, and because of their faith, they believed God for amazing things. In verse 13, he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them welcome them from a distance. Here's, here's what he's saying is, there's a lot of promises that they got that had not yet happened. A lot of them about Jesus. They hadn't happened yet because they lived before Jesus. A lot of them were, are, are promises after our death. You know, we, get, we have promises after our death. If you're in Christ, you have promises after your death. Okay, I said that three times before I got an amen. I mean, I, you know, should have gotten something there. There are promises that we have after our death. And so they, you, you hang on there, live by faith, even to death, admitting or claiming or, or professing that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. This is not our place. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. This ain't mine. I'm looking for one of my own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, uh, they had left, behind, they would have had an opportunity, uh, a temptation, a desire to return, to go back, to stay in this. But they weren't thinking about that. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly country. <clears throat> Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Two chapters later, in chapter 13, verse 14, he comes back to this thought, and Paul writes, For here we do not have an enduring, continuing city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This is not our place. We got another place we're looking for. This is not our place. Well, I could really, really relate that to our church building situation, couldn't I? But none of these places that we would ever find here on this earth are our place. This is not our place. There's another place. Okay, so, so we understand that, but let's bring that to the right now because I think sometimes we see that as a now and a then. There's a now right now for this other place. And if you want that other place, you got to be living in that kingdom that that other place is coming. you got to be living in that kingdom now to be ready for that place. You know, it's like, it's like you're planning on retiring one day from work, you guys, and you guys are planning on getting a job one day too, right? And, you know, whatever, but, and then you're going to retire one day. You're going to retire, you're planning to retire one day. But there's another retirement coming. You're going to retire from life. And are you prepared for the retirement after life? You have to live in it to be prepared for the retirement after life. 
So let's, let's talk a little bit about flesh and spirit here. Go to the book of Galatians. This is also the writings of Paul. Uh, chapter 5, again, verse 16. going to read several verses of scripture right here. All of this is setting up some stuff I want to share with you later in the sermon. Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another or they are in conflict. Uh, or the Greek text there, you could look at it where it says they war or they fight against each other. Anybody relate? You know, does your spirit ever war against your flesh and you're struggling? I really need to do this, but ah, I'm being pulled over to do that. There, there, there's, a, there's a conflict. They're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he gives a, a list of uh, the works of the flesh. Get a drink of water before I read this list. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, uh, revelries, and the like, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't practice these things and be ready for that final retirement. Okay, so if you want that retirement, if we're looking to that retirement, we can't practice these things. Okay, so then he lists the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In the context there, what he's saying, he says, if we live in the Spirit, we must also walk in the Spirit. You can't live in the Spirit without walking in the Spirit. you got to do both. You can't live in the Spirit and walk in the flesh. I mean, you, you understand, you know, I can't live in one city and walk in another one. That's what it's saying. You know, wherever I am, there I am. Whatever I live in, I have to walk in. And, and sometimes there's a conflict and we sometimes kind of feel like we can do both. Okay, there's two lists here, right? We've got... We've got the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. Every one of us has to make up our mind which one of these kingdoms we're going to live in. The problem comes with the attitude of the flesh. We all want the benefits of this, right? But we want to live over here. Our flesh says, oh, we want to live here where we, we can do what we want to, but we want everybody else to live over here, right? You know, we see murders and stuff like that, so we, we want all our neighbors to live over here. But we kind of get tempted to live over here once in a while and enjoy some of this over here. But here's the problem. If you're going to live in this, and the context there, if you think about it, is like believe and say, this is who I am and this is what I am. If you're going to live in this, you've got to walk in this. Steps. And every step has to be in this kingdom. If you want the blessings, I mean, these look like awesome blessings. I, need, I want some love in my life. I want joy in my life. I want peace in my life. I want all the, If you want these blessings, then you have to also Sow this in your life. You have to walk in this to have the blessings of it. You can't walk in this, or you can't, I'm sorry, you can't walk in this and have these blessings. If you're going to live in this and enjoy this and live in it, you got to walk in it. So every one of us has to make up our mind. And you might not have ever had to make up your mind at this point. You might have never made up your mind. You may have never asked Jesus to be your Savior. And this morning, you can do it real quick. I mean, do you want these things? You, you may be wondering why in the world your life seems to always be full of this. You know, because this is the world we live in. And until you choose to move to a different world and to a different kingdom, you have to choose to do it. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you do, it, do it today and start, 
start walking in this and letting these kinds of things and many others in the Bible start coming, coming to pass, the promises that we have in the Bible coming to pass in your life. Make that decision. But just like if you've never done it, I can tell you there's a lot of people sitting on church pews that have never done it. I've, I've, got, I've got good friends in church who just kind of slid into church, kind of accidentally ended up here one day, somebody invited them or whatever, or found out they were giving away free donuts, you know, or whatever they showed up. You know, we do that kind of thing around here once in a while. You know, and, and so they just kind of showed up. They just kind of slid into church. And so they kind of got this idea that, okay, I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep hearing the sermons and the songs. And I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep sliding over here to this other kingdom. And I'm going to keep sliding. You can't do that because you don't have the ability to leave this kingdom behind and start walking in this kingdom. This kingdom's got a hold of you. This is the kingdom that you were born in. This is, this is our world. And, and you don't have that power. You don't have the strength. And that's why if, if you never really made the choice to say, I want Jesus to be my king, and that's what I want in my life, until you've made that choice, you're going to constantly be drawn back to that. And when you toy with or tinker with some of these things, you know, when, when, when you're involved with them just a little bit, oh, I'd never do any of those things. I remember Paul said in another place, he's, he talks about the guilt that comes, not just from doing those things, but from also enjoying those who do those things. And you, th and, and you just look around you at, our, at our, you know, our media today and the movies and the things and the, the books that are written today and say, oh, I don't you don't have to do these things. You can just read about it and watch the movies and enjoy. Oh, yeah, that, mm, that was hard, didn't it? That hurt, man. It got me really hard there. God, it wasn't pastor. Paul wrote that. That was God laying that on Paul's heart. You cannot toy with these things without these things. I, you know, I was saying this past week, you know, it, it's time for me to get the lawnmower out. I got to cut the weeds. You know, I don't have any grass growing. I just got weeds. I don't know about y'all, but right now all I got is weeds. That's what happens when you tinker with these things. You, know, you didn't plant it, but you end up with weeds. So if you want this, you've got to choose this. And then step and walk in it every day. And your flesh is going to pull you over. It's going to try to want you. You just got to keep, no, I'm going to keep doing everything you can. And keep walking in this. You make the choice. Make the choice. Now, if we made the choice, but this is the world that is surrounding us, but that's not where we belong. We do not belong. This is not our place. We got another place. Okay, so since this is not our place, does that mean, mean then that we uh, build fortresses to protect ourselves? Got to protect ourselves from all this stuff. We hide ourselves away in seclusion. We go into a cave somewhere so that this stuff can't get on us. Is that what God's called us to do? No. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, some of the very last words of Jesus Christ. He says, go. You know what just, you know, just hit me? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever really thought about this. We should have thought about this in the first service, so the first two services could have heard this as well. But, you know, we see Jesus stepping on the scene. And when he steps on the scene at the beginning of the, of the Gospels and he's calling his disciples, what does he tell them to do? come. But as he's leaving, what does he tell him to do? Go. And so, yeah, he calls us to himself. And like, like I said, this is the most important thing we do as a church. We come together as a church and we do it on a regular basis, but this is not all of it. This is the beginning of it. This is the come, but there's a go. Go and into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That is the call of the church. Yeah, he calls us to himself. He loves being with us and wants us to be with him, but if that's all he wanted, if there wasn't a go, if all he wanted was us to be with him, he'd kill us all right now so we could be with him. You know, every moment of the day, right? But there's something else to do. There's a go. And he sends us. Okay, here's a, here, here's a sports word, scrimmage. 
know what a scrimmage is? Well, in case you don't, I got a little definition for you right here. Scrimmage. And this is what a lot of churches are doing today. An exhibition game. An informal sports contest. Or a practice match. A scrimmage. Man, I've been there. <laughs> I've pastored there. I've been part of the problem of why the church became a scrimmage on Sunday instead of a kingdom builder Monday through Saturday. God didn't call us to scrimmage, but that's what a lot of churches are doing. We're coming together on Sunday in our own arena, you know, in our place, and we're scrimmaging. You know, okay, I, I know we're in, we're in college football territory here in Alabama and not basketball, so let, let me give you the college football equivalent. A-day games. Uh, you know, if, if you're a football fan, you, know, kind of, you ought to know what an A-day game is. Spring training, they end with an A-day game. They have one in Tuscaloosa. They have one in Auburn every year. It's coming up just a few weeks. And in Tuscaloosa, they break up the teams into red and white, and they play each other. And in Auburn, they break up the teams in blue and white, and they play each other. Guess who wins all of the A-day games in Auburn? Because that's the only team playing. And in Alabama, guess what? It's the same thing. The, you know, and, and, and do you know who goes to the A-Day games? You know, Auburn last, this last year, I heard they, they set a record for attendance at the A-Day game. Uh, new coach, excitement and everything. Boy, if they'd have just known what the season was really going to be like, you know. They could, but I mean, the excitement that was there, 83,000 plus people were there. Guess how many were Auburn fans? 83,000 plus were Auburn fans. It's A-Day. There is no opposing team. Everybody that's there is an Auburn fan. Same thing in, in Tuscaloosa. Everybody, uh, you know, okay, maybe there's one, you know, one reporter from Tennessee or something, you know, you know, he's got on that ugly orange or whatever, but, you know, and he's just there just to cover the game. But I mean, everybody there, all the fans are there. It's a safe environment. There's really no opposition. You're playing your own team. You're all pulling together. As a matter of fact, there's even some guys, quarterbacks, and sometimes somebody else that may be a little hurt, they put a different color jersey on so that they don't actually even get hit. They kind of play in touch football for that moment. You know, you just, you don't even get hit. It's a safe environment. That's why churches like the Sunday morning arena to come. Let's just scrimmage. Let's talk about going out and winning the world for Jesus Christ. Let's sing about it. Let's even preach about it. And let's come to the altar, let's pray, let's promise God, yes, I'm going to do it. But actually do it. God didn't call us to scrimmage. This is just practice. It's practice for the real battle that is out there. And the reason we get scared a little bit is because there, there is a, there's a, probably the greatest advantage that, that you can have in sports it has simply nothing to do with, with uh, the actual sport or game. It's home court advantage. That's one of the greatest advantages you can have. You know? and, and, and there's a lot of reasons for it. And, 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 you know, and the scrimmage, think about this. The scrimmage is the most awesome home field advantage you can have or home court advantage you can have. Because it, it, you know, it, both teams are at home. You know? Okay, here's the thing about the home court advantage. There's two big reasons why it's a big advantage. One is the crowds, the energy that is there. It's all yours. If it's your home, it's yours. The energy is off you. All the signs that, that you know, everybody makes and holds up, they're all about you. you know? and all, the, uh, all the cheers that the cheerleaders are, say, are, are chanting, you know, they're all about you. Even the music coming over the, the PA. You know, it's, it, it's your home court, you know, so they're playing your music. So all the energy is all about you. So it's a big advantage. And the other is the familiarity. You know where everything is. And it's like you walk in, you're totally familiar with everything. And so there's, there's, there's a sense of comfort there. 
But you cannot win championships staying at home. No team has ever won a championship by canceling all their away games and saying, we're just going to stay at home, play, just play. You can't do it. And in March Madness right now, the tournament, every team, a team any team that wants to win the whole thing, if they want to win the championship, they're going to have to play in three different venues that are not their home venue. Just in this tournament, a place that is not theirs. So what do they do? You have to overcome these two things. How do we overcome those two things? Okay, sport, okay, this is basketball analogies here, so you have to follow me just a little bit, okay? The first one, how, how do we overcome that, the crowds and the energy? We have to go make our own energy. Now, that's what basketball teams have to do. They get into an arena, they have to make their own energy. They're not dependent upon the other team. The other team's fans are not going to give you, you got to do your own. Here's the cool thing about March Madness is because when you, when you go to an arena for March Madness, and it's happening all over the country because there's so many teams involved in it, uh, 60, uh, up in the upper 60s, I think 68 teams that are involved in it. So they're, they're all over the country, but they'll have like eight teams together in one arena. And if you're, you're there because your team is playing, well, you, you probably get tickets to other games too, and you'll go to other games. And and you're not really for either team, and, but you, know, you kind of look and say, well, I don't know that I'm going to pull for this or that. So one of the things that the teams want to do is they want to try to get the uninvolved, the unconnected fans, the fans that aren't connected to any team yet, the teams want to get those fans on their side. I mean, you know, you, know, you might see a guy out there try to whoop up the crowd you know, a little bit and build his own energy and, and, and find some, t- some fans that aren't yet connected and get them connected. Look, look at the spiritual con- connection there because you know, a lot of times we look and we think that the world is our enemy. They're the team we're fighting against. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of, of evil in the heavenly realms. Spirit and flesh. We're not fighting in the spirit. We're, we're not fighting in the flesh. We're in the spirit. And so we're not fighting those people. Those are not, our enemy is the devil. Uh, the, the, our, the enemy team is the devil's team and whatever he's doing against us. But those people out there, you know who they are? They are the people sitting in the stands that are not yet connected to either team. And so what we want to do, just like a basketball team comes in, what we want to do is we want to try to find those that are not yet connected and turn them into fans of Jesus Christ. That's who we go after. That's our target out there. We don't, we don't walk into, we don't walk into an, a, a, a situation out there and, and think we're going you know, to beat those people out there that are living for the devil. No, we got to go out there looking at them as the fans that are not yet connected. And we got to win them over to love Jesus. And how are we going to do that? I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes, okay? This other thing we got to get over is the familiarity and the comfort level. When you go into a place that is not yours, now if you've ever played sports, you know this. You go into a place that's not yours, okay, you're already a little bit, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, if you're an Alabama or Auburn fan, you've ever gone to a game at LSU, you understand. It's a little unnerving to go somewhere else, you know, like, especially in some place like that. I thought I'd get an amen right here from our resident Cajun, but I didn't. Uh, but it just can be a little unnerving, a little scary, you know. And I've even heard of teams that they will... They will do certain things just to mess up the visiting team coming in. Like I've heard of teams that paint the visiting locker room pink. So those big guys have to strut in and change clothes and hang their clothes in a pink locker. Messing with their mind, just messing with their mind. Have you seen the Oregon, which I know a lot of you are not basketball fans, but the Oregon Ducks home basketball court? Look at that. And I don't know how well you can see that. They have painted a whole forest on, on, on their, uh, on their uh, floor there. I mean, it's, it's trees going this way, this way, this way, and, you know, just got the opening in the middle. You know, there's no way I could play there. 
My ADD, you know, I'll be dribbling down the court. I say, wow, I didn't see that tree a little while ago. It looks like a, an owl sitting in it or something. I'd be yanked so quick by the coach. You know, there is, there is no way. I, I, would, I tried to watch a game. That's why I, where I saw this. I tried to watch a game just a few weeks ago, way before the tournament, just a few weeks ago uh, that was there. And I tried to watch it. Now, this is a still image right here, okay? But imagine, you know, it's, we're watching a ball game, and the camera's going back and forth and zooming in and zooming out. I said, I, I can't watch. I can't imagine trying to play on that. Now, Oregon's players, they practice on it every day, and they play their home games. But for the other teams, as hard as you try, it's got to be somewhat of a distraction. It's got to be. So what do you do to get by that? You have to stay focused and stay focused on winning. Because you know what? The lines were the exact same, same length. The three-point arc, the three-point shot, same distance. As it's easy Sometimes for the enemy to get you distracted and make you think about the things you shouldn't be thinking about. The rules are the same here and there. What you do here to have victory, you got to do out there to have victory. What you do here to connect with God, you got to do out there. It's the same rules. Don't get distracted by the stuff going on out there so that it messes with you and you start, to start backing off and, and, and like playing conservative. Who are you? Be who you are. You know, if you're the life of the party, go be the life of the party at work. Be the life of the party for Jesus. Don't be something different out there just because there's all this stuff. And then there's, there's this other thing also about getting comfortable. One of the things we need to make sure we don't do is get comfortable with the stuff going on out there in the world. You remember this kingdom over here? Hadn't asked you in a while. So I want to ask you right now today. How long has it been since you cried over somebody else's pain? How long has it been since, since someone else's pain just broke you down? Like this little one-year-old up in Coleman County. The story coming out this past week. I mean, if they started talking about all the details, I had to turn it off. I can't, I can't listen. And then I think a couple of days later, it came back on. And Davis, Davis said before I even said, she said, I can't watch this. I can't listen to that. I can't hear that. And how long has it been since your heart was broken like that for somebody? I mean, we hear the numbers of babies that are aborted every year. We don't cry about it anymore. Come on. Come on, think about it. We've become accustomed to it. We have to stay focused on winning. So what's the win? I want to define the win for you. Here it is. The win. And, and, and listen, it's, it's, sometimes we make the win so big, nobody could do it. Like, do you think the win is... Being Billy Graham, and, and if you're the next Billy Graham, thank God, we need another one. But if you're not, it's not your call then to go preach to tens of thousands of people and lead them to the Lord that way. For most of us, the win is this, just helping one person, one person find peace in Jesus, find forgiveness for their yesterday, find hope for their tomorrow, find life forever, find joy for their sorrow. Find healing for their pain. Find purpose for their future. Find strength for their battles. And on and on and on. You see, everything that all those people around you every single day of your life, everything they need is in Jesus. And the win is helping one person find it. Just helping one person. That's, that's a win. Just helping one person find that. And, and, and you don't have to be a theologian to help them find it. 
All you have to do is be someone that's already found your peace, your forgiveness, your hope, your strength. And if you found it, then you're ready to get the win for somebody else. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're in the locker room right now, okay? Coach is about to give you the pregame talk. We're actually, when we leave the locker room, we're actually going to scrimmage a little bit, okay? Don't get worried. We're not going to pick sides and shoot basketball in here. We're going we're to scrimmage a little bit before we leave today. And then when we leave, I'm talking spiritual scrimmage, okay? Y'all just, just hang with me when we get there. But when we leave, it's time to go play the game, to play it out there on the road. We're going to scrimmage here in just a few moments, but then it's going to be time to play it out there. So pregame talk, ready? I got four W's for you. Four W's for the win, because I'm a pastor coach, so I got to get the, the, the alliteration of WWW, you know, that, 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 okay, so here, four W's for the win. Y'all ready? Coach going to pump you up. Here's the first W for you if we want to get the win. Whoa! We're expecting that, were you? Isaiah chapter 6. I hope you, I'll explain in a minute if you don't get it. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, Isaiah, he has a vision of God. And he sees the temple, but he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He is seeing this. He's like, whoa, wow, whoa. And, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, uh, angels. And these uh, angels, they each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Whoa. You know, what's he seeing right here? And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Whoa, right? Right? But here, here's the thing. Here's why this is the W that you need, the very first W you need to get the win. It's because we need to remember again the first time we had a vision of who he was. Maybe you didn't have a vision in your mind like he did, but in your heart you had a vision of who God was. You need, we need to get that again. You need to get that whoa moment in your life again. This is, oh, wait a minute, look at this awesome God that there is. But when you get that, there's another woe that follows. It's W-O-E. And he said, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He sees this, whoa, and then he thinks, oh, but wait a minute. He remembers, because of how great he is, he remembers, oh, man, without him, oh, I'm in trouble. We, we need to remember. Now, now we, we talk a lot of times about, oh, man, how awesome we are and everything, and, but that's the Christ in you. We need to remember that without him, we are woe, woeful, pitiful, nothing. We are nothing without him. This, whoa, awesome God, that without him, oh man, I tremble, shudder to think about standing in his presence. So woe is me, but don't despair. But you've got to get the woe before you get the wow. Because there is no wow if you don't have the woe. I mean, if you don't say, whoa, is me, you don't get the wow. And I think Ben said this Thursday night, uh, brought our devotion at Deeper, uh, Minister of Music for up at, up at Daystar. I had him come visit and bring devotion. He said, he said, I believe that the reason we don't see as many miracles take place in the United States of America as we see out in other, other parts of the world is because we don't need God. I agree. We don't need God. We haven't had our woe moment. Like, whoa, I am nothing without him. You need to have your woe moment. You need to remember your woe moment every once in a while to remember that you are nothing without God. 
And you can't, you will not get your wow moment if you don't have a woe moment. But if you get your woe moment, then you get your wow moment. And, and here it comes. Next scripture. Next verse. It's coming. To the wow. We're stuck. There it is. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Okay, so there, he, he, in, his, in his vision, he is seeing uh, the altar of God, and he is seeing the fire that is there on the altar of God. And an angel comes, and he takes just one coal, and he brings it and touches his lips. Now, Isaiah, when he is thinking about his sin, when he's thinking about his state of life, he is thinking about a sin of his lips. I don't know, and his, and his people, the sin of their lips. Uh, uh, maybe they were maybe they're a bunch of liars, or, or maybe it was just that they had spoken doubt on God. Like, ah, oh, doesn't look like God's going to show up. Maybe God's asleep. Maybe God's forgotten about us. But whatever it is, he's thinking about a sin, and it's the sin of his lips. And then he sees this, you know, this isn't really happening, this is a vision. And he sees this, and what he sees is, is he sees that from the altar of God, just one touch. Oh, here I am, woe is me, because I see this awesome God, and woe is me. I am not capable of even standing in his presence, but just one touch from the altar of God. And my sin is forgotten, and my guilt is no more. My sin is gone, and my guilt is gone. There's some of you sitting here, and you're still dealing with the guilt of your sin of yesterday. You still think you got to pray 10 more times. You got to fast 10 more months. You got to, you got to repent 10 more times or you got to pray 10 more minutes every day and add to or whatever. You got to do, do more and more and more. You need your wow moment again. And remember that when he touches, it was just one touch that he forgave all of your past and he sets you free in your future. The guilt is also gone. Wow. Wow. And because of this, you know what this makes you do? It should make you say, Where? So God, where? Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I think the reason more of us don't say where is because we've forgotten the first three W's. We've forgotten how awesome he is, how woeful we were, but how amazingly with just one touch, he changed everything about us. So when I say the win is just helping somebody find that in Jesus, you may say, well, they probably need more than that. What did you need? One touch. See, so the victory, the win this week is just one touch. You just need that person to connect with Jesus for just a moment. Just a moment. And so we're about to break from the locker room. We're about to scrimmage in a few moments. Okay? And here's what you need to do is you need to remember... You need to remember your woe moment when you first saw how amazing he was. You need to remember what you were before he came in and remember how amazing you have become because of one touch. And I pray every one of you says, because of that, God, show me somebody out there. Where, where, where is it, God, that I'm going to be this week? Show me somebody out there that needs your peace. I can just share a little bit of my story. Show me someone out there, God, that, that needs some hope for their future in you. Show me someone out there that needs some strength for the battles that they're going through. And I don't have to be a Billy Graham to preach a message. I just need to tell somebody my story. Let me tell you about my whoa, whoa, wow, and that calling of where. I, I, I'm probably talking to you today. Tell someone I'm probably talking to you today because God knew you were in trouble and just needed somebody to talk to Ask where. Before you leave this place today, I pray every one of you asks where. You ready? Let's get out of the locker room. Stand up.
Let's come to the front. If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. And if you're comfortable, we'd love to have you join us for this final song. Okay, y'all ready to scrimmage? Come on in. Press on in just a little bit and get, let's get everybody out of the aisles if we can. Thank y'all, thank y'all. Second service they pressed in so far, we had an empty spot right here in the middle. So, Okay, we're going to scrimmage. Y'all ready? Ready to scrimmage? And a scrimmage is, you know, the team just splitting up and being against, you know, two teams or whatever. But you're not going to scrimmage against other people in this room. The scrimmage is all right here. Flesh and spirit. That's the scrimmage right now. The scrimmage. Come on, build up your spirit. Beat down your flesh today. Build it up. But here's what we're going to do. This last song Jamie's going to lead us in is right directly from the scriptures I just read to you in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember. As we sing this, I want you to remember. Remember, go ahead, Jamie, when you can. Remember your woe moment. Remember your woe moment. Oh, my goodness. How, oh, I can just think about those sins. Don't you, do you ever wince when you think of some of the stupid stuff you did? Oh, oh, I hope nobody ever knows about that. And just your woe moment. Have your woe moment. So you can remember your wow moment. Because it all changed with one touch, didn't it? Do you remember that? Oh, man, remind yourself. And if, if you will, you're going to have to say, God, so show me somebody.